I'll tell you a guy who never changes his mind. That's Alex Trayman. When this whole war started in Israel, those brutal attacks dating back to October the 7th, we started bringing Alex Trayman on. It was Noam Layden. I got to give Noam Layden all the credit. I had no idea who Alex was. Noam said, I got a guy in Israel. His name is Alex Trayman. He's at GNS. He's great. And I loved him from day one. His information has been incredibly accurate. He's got a big heart, cares. And he's been on with me about 20 times. And when I made mention a couple of weeks ago that I'm really efforting with Yehuda to get this show to Israel, he said, use my studios. I said, come on. I envisioned us with a picnic table somewhere in Jerusalem surrounded by Arabs, you know, <laughs> trying to do a radio show. But no, instead we're in this gorgeous studio. He's got great workers here, too, from Ryan Lifshitz to uh, Adam Mellerman to Zach Sikerman to um, Avia uh, Ajna, who does a terrific job. There's Avia. Uh, really a terrific, terrific staff. And we are here in his studios today. His wife also, Sippy, I love her. She is fantastic. So here he is, Mr. JNS in Jerusalem, our friend Alex Trayman. Alex, good morning. How are you? Shit, welcome to Jerusalem. It is, uh, it is amazing being here. It, uh, it really is. And, you know, why you told me last week that you're not going to feel like you're in a war zone necessarily because you're not going to hear the rockets like you did here. You heard rockets here in Jerusalem uh, even six, seven weeks ago and, and all those types of things. And, and you're right. You, you walk around, I feel relatively safe. But there's a tension, Alex. There's no question about it. And there's a lot of guys with guns on just about every block. So coming from New York, it does feel a little bit like I'm in a war zone. How about that? Well, you know, like I said to you uh, previously, it's the it's the danger that you're used to versus the danger that you're not used to. Um, but certainly high alert here. Everybody has to uh, really have no illusions that we live with uh, an enemy that has been um, that has been. Uh, you know, it's taught, as you mentioned, to, to really hate Jews and to kill Jews and to value a culture of martyrdom where they die uh, for killing Jews. That's the greatest honor that you can have in the society. And, and so we understand who it is that we're living with. Uh, and we have to be on red alert because October 7th, it, it doesn't it, it's not necessarily going to be a, a one off event uh, if, if we let our guard down. No, it looks like it's not going to be the case at all. In fact, uh, look, the South, uh, while it's um, certainly uh, calmed down quite a bit, there's still stuff going on. In fact, uh, just this morning, Alex, uh, from Yehuda, I should say, I received two different reports. Uh, One, of course, was a man with an axe getting out of his car in Haifa who was killed, thank God, by the by the Israelis, but he was ready to commit some type of brutal attack. There was something else that happened here in Jerusalem. So while the South is still going on and hostages are still being held, there are these random little attacks in and around Israel that even penetrate cities like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Yeah, I think it's a mistake to call them random. Uh, you know, they're not happening with tremendous frequency, but uh, we are part of, we're in a war right now. And, uh, you know, these people have been trained to do exactly what they're doing. Uh, you know, they've been incited from an early age, taught in their schools, taught on social media. Uh, and so, you know, they they are trained to be able to wake up one morning and decide that they're going to be a martyr and, and to carry out an attack. And, and as you mentioned, there's been a few just today and, and there could be many, many more. And we saw just two years ago, you know, we had big riots here in the Arab Israeli cities like Lod uh, and Akko and elsewhere, you know, just the. Uh, a few miles from where you're sitting now in Jerusalem, there's the 250,000 Arabs living in the eastern sections of the city. Uh, you know, they have chosen to be calm so far since October 7th, uh, but that could change at any moment. 
You know what shocked me, too, is uh, my friend Yehuda. Uh, I was in the car with him and his friend Aaron last night, and he was telling me that uh, he lives uh, in and around Jerusalem. I forget exactly the name of the city or the town, Alex, but uh, on the way to his house, there's a red sign. This is unbelievable, folks. And, and the red sign is outside an Arab community. And the red sign basically says, hey, if you're Jewish, don't come here. If you do, if you do, you are taking your life into your own hands. There are signs on the road that warn Jewish people, if you go any further, you could die. Isn't that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, they in the 90s, they divided up Israel into these uh, sections, specifically the disputed areas of Judea and Samaria. You know, Jews are Jews because they come from Judea, uh, but these are the areas in which most uh, Palestinians live today, and they divided it up into areas A, B, and C. You know, C is where Jewish villages are, A and B is where Palestinian villages are. Uh, and if you're going to go near a, a village that is called Area A, and that's like Ramallah and Jericho and most of the Israeli cities, it is illegal under Israeli law for an Israeli to enter. And when they have those signs that say you're taking your life into your own hands, what they're basically doing is giving license to the Palestinians in those cities to kill Jews if they come in. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Why would you allow that to happen for them? And then I asked these guys, I go, wow, who cares about a sign? Have there been examples of Jews that randomly got in? And they go, yes, just a couple of years ago, two soldiers lost their way. They got lost, ended up in Ramallah, and both were killed. Is that a true story? Yes, uh, that happened uh, several years ago. And, uh, you know, it, it's not like that for, for Arabs that want to come into Jewish town. So, you know, they are allowed to come in. Yeah, see, I don't understand. Right, you you got the media, and the United States is horrible. I'm telling you, Alex, the government, this administration, we've been over this a million times. They're they're not for Israel. You cannot fund Iran, which Biden has now done in not one but two two administrations alongside Obama. Do deals with Iran, loosen their sanctions, and say I'm pro-Israel. Can't be both, okay? So the administration is horrible, and the media is horrible because time and time again, and, of course, the rallies in the streets of New York, these people refer to Israel as an apartheid. Wait a second. How is Israel an apartheid when you guys live amongst Arabs civilly and yet they have signs, you walk in here, we're going to kill you? How is that possible? Everything here is a double standard. You'll learn about that. Uh, You know, we have two forms of transportation in Jerusalem. We have a light rail. uh, It's a train. And then we also have a bus. So the light rail goes between Jewish uh, villages and air villages. So the enemies of Israel call that occupation because you're driving, you're taking your light rail and you go through the middle of the Arab village. Now, of course, the Arabs get to use that. Uh, and then you have the buses. And so it was determined that a different bus company would service the Palestinian uh, villages in, in Jerusalem. And that's not the same bus company that services the Jewish villages in Jerusalem. So that's called apartheid. So when you have uh, a system that, that serves both communities, that's occupation. When you have separate, that's called apartheid. Agreed. We're going to take a short break, Alex. We're going to bring you back because I do want to get into the real war here. While I mentioned what's going on in the south and we talked about some of these attacks that happened today in Haifa, others in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago. It looks like the north is getting ready for a big battle. And talking to a lot of folks in Israel the last couple of days, they feel like that will change life forever for Israelis all over this country, including right here in Jerusalem. So we'll take a short break. We'll come back live once again from the JNS studios in beautiful Talpiat, Jerusalem, with the man who gave us the studios, Alex Trayman. More with Alex Trayman right after this. 
Let's get back to uh, Alex Trayman here at JNS. So when we uh, stopped the conversation moments ago, Alex, I said to you that while we're talking about the South still and Hamas and some attacks here and there across Israel, there's a real fear among the folks that live here, the folks that I have spoken to, that the war in the North is not a matter of if, it's inevitable. It's going to be when. And when it does, they expect basically Israel to be shut down. I mean, Jerusalem could be electricity, could mean uh, issue getting cash. There's a real fear that a war in the North will cripple Israel. Are you worried about that? Well, I think it's an anticipation at this point. Uh, I think most Israelis understand that uh, Hezbollah is the much more dangerous of the terror proxies on our border. Whatever whatever attack that Hamas was able to uh, carry out, which included a cross-border raid and, and the sending of uh, tens of thousands of, of rockets, you know, those are uh, short-range rockets for the most part, and they're not sophisticated rockets. Uh, Hezbollah has double, triple, maybe quadruple the number of soldiers uh, in southern Lebanon, right, ready to, to try to, to breach the border. But they also have uh, as many as 150, and well, 150,000 rockets, many of them long range, many of them also precision guided. So they can actually start targeting uh, strategic positions in Israel. And as you mentioned, that could be power plants, that could be the airport, uh, that could be natural gas rigs. Uh, it could be the Knesset. It could be uh, the the head of the IDF in Tel Aviv. So they they can really put much of the country uh, under fire. Simple question: If you're fighting in the south and the north, as you say, becomes a much more difficult task with a lot more finances and people needed, does Israel have enough? Do we have enough uh, in terms of men, in terms of money, to fight the wars in the north and the south, and God knows where else? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's why the, the government's kind of been waiting to try to finish up uh, in the south first so that they can deploy the troops that are currently fighting in the south up to the north. Um, and you do have the question of how much uh, artillery, how much uh, rockets and missiles from uh, Israeli airplanes uh, do they really have? And you've seen uh, some uh, some uh, incidents in the Gaza Strip. We, we had uh, one where 21 uh, soldiers were killed detonating a building. Uh, two buildings in the Gaza Strip just about a week ago, and people said, well, why didn't the the Air Force just bomb those buildings from the sky? Why you have soldiers laying mines inside the buildings? To well, do I, 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 know the answer, I know the answer to that already, and it's called, uh, they, they say outside pressure, but let's be honest, it's pressure from our president, our country, which is disgraceful. That's why those kids died, because of pressure from the United States, which I'm not okay with. Well, there is that pressure, but there's also the military calculation, which says that uh, the Air Force needs to, to stockpile all of its weaponry as much as possible. Because uh, if, you're, if you know that you're going to come under the attack of these uh, Hezbollah rockets, you have to go fast and furious inside Lebanon. Right now, you know, they're going very methodically, building to building, uh, taking their time, finding the tunnels. In, in Lebanon, you're not going to have the time to do that because the whole – the whole country is going to be under fire. So they, they have to go fast and furious inside uh, southern Lebanon. And they're, they're saying that they will try to take out as many of the uh, strategic sites that Hezbollah has, including uh, weapons depots, within the first 24 hours. And they need all the air power that they can muster. Wow, scary. Let me go back to the south. Two more will let you go, Alex. Uh, the hostages. As soon as I landed at Tel Aviv, you know, when you when you when I exit the airport, the airplane, I should say, there was this beautiful, beautiful area 
where um, I'm wearing not one but two necklaces today, and uh, Rabbi Bloomstein gave me one this morning, and you know, it's uh, it talks about bring home the hostages, and I think everybody in Israel is wearing these today. There had to be a thousand of them hanging from the ceiling in the airport. Then when you walk past that, there's a face of every hostage that is still being held. The number you hear is 136. I doubt that's it. I'm sure a lot of them are dead. A lot of them uh, might be a risk to young girls or not, and what they're doing to them on a daily basis is just inhumane. That's how I feel. Uh, anything, anything new on the hostages, developments, because it doesn't seem to me like Bibi and Israel right now, while well, they want to get these hostages out, there's no doubt about it. They even offered a two-week uh, pause, right, or a month pause just last week. Nothing's going to stop them from destroying Hamas. Nothing and nobody. Yeah, Israel has no choice. They have to take this to the end. It's more important to make sure that uh, Hamas is never able to carry out an attack like they did on October 7th and take even one more hostage. And, and that's hard. That creates a tremendous amount of tension because you know these families – are pushing the government to make their loved ones who are who are held captive the number one priority, uh, but the government has to balance a, a lot of different considerations, including uh, a not an unlimited timetable uh, to carry out its its actions inside Gaza. As you mentioned, there's a lot of American pressure. There's a lot of international pressure. We saw uh, what just happened last week at the International Court of Justice. Uh, so Israel needs to, to finish this as, as fast as possible, and, and it looks like they've been doing that. Uh, they, they tackled the north, uh, they've moved through the center, and now they're fighting in the last Hamas uh, stronghold of Khan Yunus, and it's believed that they are getting closer and closer to uh, some of Hamas's senior leadership. And, and I think the question would be if at the end of this there could be a way to uh, make a trade to get back the hostages uh, in exchange for allowing uh, some of Hamas's senior, senior leadership to, to exit the country into exile. You know, in the final 60 seconds, Alex, I've had people here on the ground tell me that, uh, with children, of course, and you've got kids too, uh, young kids, and they said, listen, my kids know about what happened. Obviously, you can't hide it, uh, but we don't give them the graphic details, and we stay away from telling our kids that they have kids who are hostages because – our kids believe this is basically for adults, and they'd be even more scared if they knew that there are kids their age being held hostage right now. Do you and your wife, you guys, uh, do the same thing in your home? Well, our kids know that there are kids held hostage, and that uh, we try to keep life as, as normal as possible. But we also try to explain to our kids that uh, we live in this tremendous time in history where the Jewish people actually get to fight. Uh, for their country, because there were so many generations where the Jews just had no opportunity to fight. And, uh, yes, we still fight those battles, but uh, we have uh, an army, we have an Air Force, and, and we will be victorious. Alex, uh, what can I say? Thank you so much for the studios. I'm sure I'll be seeing you uh, throughout the week. Your studios are beautiful. Your workforce is great. Your wife has been amazing. I mean that. And we're all very excited to have Shabbos dinner at your house coming up on Friday night. Thank you for everything. I'll see you and talk to you later. Thanks so much, Sid.